Continuing our study of Judges, turn with me to chapter 9 tonight, if you would please. Last week we finished looking at the narrative, the history of Gideon. Gideon left behind 70 sons with his many wives. Uh, In verse 31 of the previous chapter, we're told about one specific concubine who bore Gideon a son and well, it's not verse 31 anyway. It says, And his concubine that was in Shechem, she was a Canaanite woman. She also bare him a son whose name was Abimelech. Last time we touched on the fact that the name Abimelech means my father is king. And I would have you notice tonight that Abimelech is a picture of the false gospel. He pictures false religion, man-made salvation. He's a picture of what man does for himself. After Gideon died, the position that Jehovah alone was the ruler of his people was once again forgotten and set aside by Israel. That's what the book of Judges has shown us time and time again. Let's remind ourselves once again that Israel would fall into idolatry. They would worship false gods. They would cry unto the Lord. The Lord would send them a judge. The judge would deliver them. The judge would die. And then again, they'd fall right back into idolatry. What a picture of man's depravity. And what a picture of you and I by nature. Israel's real desire was to have a king to rule over them. Not God who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And... Abimelech considered himself to be the man for the job, as we'll see. You know, even if if Gideon had accepted Israel's offer to be king, which he didn't, remember what he said? He said, I'm I'm not going to be your king, and my son's not going to be your king. He said, the Lord is your king. And the Lord was their king. But even if Gideon had accepted Israel's offer to be king, Abimelech would have been the last on the list to succeed him since Gideon had 70 sons by as many wives that were ahead of him. But Abimelech pictures those who desire to reign in their own lives, to be their own God, their own ruler. You know, that's part of the curse, isn't it? Men desire to be their own God, provide their own salvation, determine their own destiny provide their own redemption. Sound familiar? It's a desire of all in false religion today. What a picture of man's nature we see in Abimelech. Natural man's inquiry has always been. Anytime the Gospel is preached in in the Scriptures, man's inquiry has always been. His question has always been, what must I do to be saved? It's inbred in us by nature to want to do something to to earn salvation. That rich young ruler, he took it a step further. And he said, what good thing must I do to be saved? It's all about me and all man by nature is all about doing something good. Something that would appease God. Only one problem with that. There's none to do with good. Not a single one. So we see that Judges chapter 9 here opens with Abimelech 
the illegitimate son of Gideon by his concubine, concubine feeling an entitlement to be king. Abimelech's mother is a concubine, not a true wife, not a true bride. She's uh, not of the true church, the bride of Christ. She's a counterfeit wife, if I may use that language. She's a mistress, one loved only by the flesh and by the world. And Abimelech pictures all that which is false. She gives birth to Abimelech, who's an enemy of his own father, Gideon. God's chosen judge, who, as we've said, is a picture and type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in Judges chapter 9, verse 1, we read in Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, went to Shechem unto his mother's brethren and communed with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, Speak, I pray you, in the ears of all the men of Shechem, whether is better for you, either that all the sons of Jerubbabel which are threescore and ten persons, seventy, reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's brethren spake of him in the ears of all the men of Shechem, all these words, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. And they gave him threescore and ten pieces of silver out of the house of baal Berith wherewith Abimelech hired vain and light persons which followed him. And he went into his father's house at Orphra and slew his brethren, the sons of Jerubbabel, being threescore and ten persons upon one stone, notwithstanding yet Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbabel, was left. And notice those last words of verse 5, for he hid himself. And all the men of Shechem gathered together and all the house of Melo and went and made Abimelech king by the plain of the pillar that was in Shechem. So we see here that Abimelech murders the 70 sons of Jerubbabel, Gideon. And that name Jerubbabel means the enemy of Baal. <laughs> Just as the Lord hates all men made gods and idols, and will not share His glory with another. So do all God's people. And the number 70, as you know, the number 7 is a number of completion. The number 70 is clearly here a picture of the church. And only the true church is complete. Only the true church is whole and perfect in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I found in this study and studying these verses that there are many pictures and parallels here in Judges chapter 9. So Abimelech goes to his hometown Shechem, which is a Canaanite city. And he goes to his mother, who's a Canaanite woman, and whose father was a Canaanite, the enemies of God. And Abimelech, whose father Gideon was an Israelite, he establishes a meeting with his Canaanite relatives in order to recruit them and ask them for help. And being from Shechem, Abimelech hopes to get support of his hometown in pursuit to be king. You know, in most presidential elections, usually every candidate that's running always wins the majority of votes in his hometown. And this is what Abimelech is counting on. 
So Abimelech gathers support for becoming king by swaying the leaders of Shechem, conveying to them that it would be better for him, a local boy, to be their leader. But Abimelech has several problems, 70 of them to be exact. So what does he do? He wants to get them out of the way. Abimelech being a, a Shechemite made it easy for the men of Shechem to join him. I mean, they gave him money to, to contract hit men. That's what these men were, just hit men to overthrow the house of Gideon according to verse 4. And you know, friends, every effort to false religion, every dime spent on anything other than the gospel of God's free and sovereign grace is an effort to dethrone the true King of kings. Every false gospel desires to worship the creature more than the Creator. Abimelech and his hard killers killed 69 of Gideon's sons. But Jotham, the youngest, escaped for he hid himself. Now, it's in Jotham that we see the Gospel tonight. The name Jotham means Jehovah is perfect. Isn't that amazing? I, the, the names of Scripture are, are so encouraging. They mean something. Jotham means Jehovah is perfect. It means Jehovah is righteous. Jotham is no doubt a picture of Christ. And his name designated him to be a preacher of the truth. And we'll see that more clearly, Lord willing, in our next study when we look at his parable of the trees that he tells here in chapter 9. But this, dear friends, is the Gospel. Jesus Christ is perfect. Perfect. That's something we don't know much about. We don't know much about good, much less perfect. I, the sinner, must be perfect to be accepted of God. In order to be reconciled to a thrice holy God, I've got to be perfect, as perfect as God. And I'm far from it. I'm, I'm wicked. I'm depraved. Fallen in sin. Dead in trespasses and sin. I can only be accepted in the Beloved. And Jesus Christ is God's Beloved Son. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. Oh, listen to what God says. Jesus Christ is God's beloved Son. I must have Jesus Christ to be accepted. That's our message. This is not a difficult message. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. We say that all the time. But it's so true and it's so plain and simple. So I have to have Christ. I must have Christ. He's all my righteousness. He's all my perfection. What does Christ do for chosen sinners? You know, He does for them what they cannot do for themselves. And that's provide the perfect righteousness that God Himself requires. God made Christ sin for His people. That they may be what? The righteousness of God in Him. That's where my perfect righteousness comes from, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my surety. He's my salvation. He's my satisfaction before God. God's satisfied with Him, and He's satisfied with me in Him. That's the message of substitution, as Gene so ably preached Sunday. And Christ, like Jotham in our text, 
has hid himself. How so, preacher? He's hid himself from the natural man. The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are spiritually discerned, spiritually hidden. Men by nature cannot know, understand, or receive the things concerning the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto them. You tell people of the world that, that are blind, natural men and women, about the God of the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they'll say, they'll call you foolish. I had a man tell me one time, he said, so you base everything that you believe on the Bible. And I said, every single thing. He said, that's the most foolish thing I ever heard. It's foolishness to the world. But unto you and I that believe, it's the power of God unto salvation. These things have to be spiritually revealed. We have to all be taught of God. All God's people will hear and learn of the Father. That's what the Lord said. And they will all come to Christ, John 6.45. All the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. Brother David, have you kept the Ten Commandments? I've never kept a one of them. But in Christ, I've kept them all and I've kept them perfectly. Isn't that good news? That's why it's called the Gospel. To the people of God, the Lord said, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. Matthew 10.26 And our Lord said, I thank Thee, O Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, because Thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and has revealed them unto babes. Oh Lord, reveal Your Gospel to us. Enable us to see more clearly the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The Apostle Paul wrote, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred and not with flesh and blood. It wasn't flesh and blood that taught you this. No, it wasn't. You didn't teach yourself this either. God taught you. Taught of God. You've learned of Him. Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Lord Jesus replied, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. You didn't figure this out on your own. No. My Father which is in heaven, He revealed it to you. He taught you. You've learned of Him. The Lord must reveal Himself if we're to know Him. And He does so through the preaching of the Gospel. And the world calls it foolishness. It's by the foolishness of preaching, what the world calls foolishness, that the Lord saves them that believe. Foolishness to them, but not to us. It's the most precious thing we ever heard. God requires perfection. We can't perform it. God's eyes are too pure to look upon sin. That's why God forsook His Son. The sin of His people were upon Him. Proverbs 20 verse 9. Who can say, I have made my heart clean. I am pure from my sin. The answer, only those who have Christ as their perfect substitute and sacrifice. 
All the sin of all the elect throughout all time was upon Christ. And all God could do and remain just was to pour out His wrath and His justice upon the Lord Jesus. That's what we see upon Calvary. Look to Calvary. That should have been you there. But me being there wouldn't have paid for one sin. But Him being there put away all the sin of all God's people throughout all time. That's why in heaven there will be a number that no man can number. (laughs) Oh, no doubt Abimelech and his assassins laid hold of the elder sons and sacrificed them first. They were the most prominent threat. It says they were each laid on the same stone and killed. This stone was a man-made altar. Uh, Abimelech and his assassins sacrificed Gideon's sons to Baal on this makeshift altar. And what a counterfeit of the truth this is. You see, that's what every false god requires. That's what all false religion calls for. A sacrifice at the hands of a sinner. Something that you do in order to appease God. Can't be done, brothers and sisters. Can't be done. It's a counterfeit. But God's people have been taught and that they have nothing to offer God. That's right. the, the hymn writer said, in my hand no price I bring. So what do we do? We simply cling to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the rock of ages. There's nothing that we can sacrifice that a thrice holy God can or will accept. It's got to be perfect to be accepted. That's why Christ is our only salvation. He's the only perfect one. He's the propitiation for our sins. And here in His love, not that we love God, or sacrificed anything to Him, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I wish folks could learn that salvation is not what men do for God. I get so grow so tired of hearing men talking about all they've done for God. Salvation has nothing to do with what we do for God. It's not a cooperative effort with us helping God to save us. I heard that all my life. Salvation is God doing everything, everything for the sinner who's dead and trespasses and sin. Because what can a dead man or woman do? That has to be true for one who is dead can do nothing because they are dead. Was the dead man at Nain's gate given life because he arose? Well, what a ridiculous question. He was dead and he couldn't raise himself up. But the Lord Jesus touched his casket and he said, Young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. Was Lazarus given life because he came forth? Absolutely not. He was given life before he could come forth. And the Lord Jesus commanded Lazarus come forth. And he that was dead came for. He was dead, but He's not dead anymore. And you and I were dead. Dead in trespasses and sin. But not anymore. Not in Jotham. Jehovah is perfect. It's absurd to think that we did something to save ourselves. Now again, verse 6, 
And all the men of Shechem gathered together in all the house of Malo and went and made Abimelech king by the plain of the pillar that was in Shechem. And when they told it to Jotham, he went and stood in the top of Mount uh, Gerizim and lifted up his voice and cried and said unto them, now listen to this, listen to these words, hearken unto me, ye men of Shechem, that God may hearken unto you. That's what the Lord Jesus says to sinners. Hearken unto me, that God may hearken unto you. That's, that's the gospel. We must hear his voice. Jotham ascends Mount Gerizim and he cries out to the leaders of Shechem, the ones who had just financed his assassination plan. To, to, to kill him and all his brethren. And he speaks to them a parable. And the result of this parable is the judgment of God against the men of Shechem and Abimelech unless they repent. And they don't. They don't repent. And we'll see their end in another study. And you know, I was thinking about Jotham, Jehovah is perfect, going up into Mount Gerizim. Our Lord went up on several mountains. We find him upon a mountain preaching to a multitude of people in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's the, uh, he revealed his glory and his grace in the longest recorded sermon of the Lord Jesus. And what a sermon it was. And we find the Lord taking Peter, James, and John upon the mountain of transfiguration. And it was there that the Lord unveiled his glory and revealed the radiance of his deity. And Peter, James, and John were blinded and they fell to the ground hiding their faces. We can't stand in the presence of uh, God in this flesh and live. No man shall see his face and live. But he's placed us in the cleft of the rock. Isn't that what he told Moses? And he said, I'll call all my goodness. That's the Lord Jesus Christ to pass before you. And it was there on the Mount of Transfiguration that Elijah and Moses were there. And the Lord spake with them on what would be accomplished in Jerusalem and His crucifixion. You know, all the Old Testament prophets had promised would be yea and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Old Testament's about. There's one coming. There's one coming. And He is the one mediator between God and man. He's the only one that can save His people from their sin. To Him give all the prophets witness that through His name, His name is who He is. We've seen that many times. Whosoever believeth in Him shall receive the remission of sins. Moses and Elijah are seen no more when Peter, James, and John look up and there stands Jesus only. That's the only hope of our salvation. Jesus only. Jesus only. Salvation would be accomplished not by the law, not in anything that the prophets did, not by anything that we ourselves do, but by Jesus only. The one mediator between God and men. Oh, dear sinner, hearken unto Him that God may hearken unto you. 
There's another mountain which the Lord reveals to us our salvation. You know, it, interesting enough, it was the same mountain, Mount Gerizim, that Jotham spoke from. It was up on that same mountain where the Lord met that Samaritan woman at the well. Isn't that something? She said, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. But you say Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And our Lord said, oh, it's not the place where you worship. True worship is how and who you worship. You must worship God in spirit and in truth. And friends, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. For such the Father seeketh to serve, to worship Him. Whosoever drinks of the water that I give you, the Lord told that woman, shall never thirst, but shall be in them a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus Christ is that water. That river. That fountain. He said, I speak. I that speak unto thee. I am. I am. Christ is the blessing to, who, to all who will hearken to Him. Christ is a curse unto all who will not. She hearkened and said, is not this the Christ? She went home. She told everybody, I had a man tell me all things that I ever did. Is this not the Christ? It was. It was the Christ. And yet there's another mountain upon which our Lord went where He reveals Himself. The mountain of all mountains, Mount Calvary, where our Lord laid down His life for His sheep. Our sin bearer, our substitute, who put away our sin by the sacrifice of himself. There where the Son of Man must be lifted up. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up because all who look to him shall live. Just as all who looked to that serpent of brass lived. They, they were stung with the poison of, of the serpents. And we've been stung with the poison of sin and we're dying. But all, there's life and a look to the Savior. Look to Jesus Christ and live. Whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved that He gave His only begotten Son. Did He die for the whole world? No. He died for whosoever believes in Him. They shall not perish, but have everlasting Son. God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him, through Jesus Christ, might be saved. Are you trusting in Christ? Are you relying upon Him to, as your sin bearer? And then the last mountain the Lord stood upon was the Mount of Olives. And it was there that the Lord ascended 40 days after His resurrection. And He's gone to prepare a place for His people that where He is, they shall be also. He has gone that He might sit at the right hand of God. And He ever lives to make intercession for us. Isn't that an amazing thought? Right now, my Lord and my Savior is sitting at the right hand of God in all power and majesty, interceding on my behalf and your behalf. Every time we sin, He tells His Father, I died for them. I died to put that sin away. He's perfect. He's perfect in me. Oh my. Jotham 
Jehovah is perfect. What a picture He is. The Lord requires perfection from us. And it's the Lord who provides perfection for us. In Christ, there's hope for sinners. He is the perfection that God requires. We have nothing to offer but sin. Christ is our only perfection. In Isaiah 42, we read the verses a minute ago. God says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, and whom my soul delighteth. I put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Friends, the Lord is not begging sinners to let him have his way in their life. He's not pleading with sinners to let him into their hearts. I would have never let him in. He busted the door down. And I'm glad he did. He divinely intervened. I would have remained lost had he not. He alone fulfilled the law and satisfied the justice of God by the shedding of His blood. God required a sinless sacrifice, a lamb without spot, without blemish. The Lord Jesus Christ is our Jotham. Jehovah is perfect. And I'm perfect in Him. Hearken unto Him. And God will hearken unto you. 2 Samuel 22.33 God is my strength and power and He maketh my way perfect. Why? Because He is the way. Psalm 37, verse 37 Mark the perfect man and behold the right upright for the end of that man is peace. Mark the perfect man for the way of that man's peace. It's a peace that passes all understanding. I don't understand this peace. But every time I begin to look within and see what I am and see what I deserve, and I think about Jotham, my Jotham, my Jehovah who is perfect, who's made me perfect, I have peace. And it passes my feeble understanding. And it keeps my heart, my mind and heart on Christ. He's our perfect substitute. He's our perfect Savior. He's the one with a perfect nature, a perfect righteousness, a perfect wisdom and understanding. He's perfect, and I'm perfect in Him. Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. The only way my righteousness shall exceed theirs is if my righteousness is Jesus Christ. We cannot and need not try to add anything to a perfect work. I've told you this before. I'll never forget the illustration Brother Darvin made one time. He and his wife were up at one of the big museums and I forget where now. And they were looking at the works of the Masters. And he said, I was sitting there looking at that beautiful work of these famous artists. And he said, I thought to myself, how ridiculous would it be for me to take a crayon out and go up and try to improve upon one of the masters? 
That's just what, that's exactly what we do when we try to add to the perfect finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're taking our little kindergarten crayons and trying to improve upon what the Master has done. It's ridiculous. The gospel of God's free and sovereign grace and the perfect person of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only message in all the world that declares God to be God. That's what we're doing when we preach the gospel. We're declaring God to be God. We're being declaring God to be the salvation of sinners. All other preaching of salvation makes God to be dependent upon man for something which robs God of His glory. Anything that's added to perfection corrupts. Paul said, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Man by his own free will does not pick himself up by his bootstraps. Stephen Hawking, so-called Albert Einstein of our day, was a self-proclaimed atheist, a brilliant man. I mean, a, a genius. He died not long ago. This brilliant man who was an atheist once said, if there is a God, there can be no such thing as free will. Well, he was right about that. But Mr. Hawking, there is a God. But you were right about man's free will. The Gospel declares that our Jotham, Jehovah is perfect, who by His perfect and righteous work put our sin away and there's nothing we ourselves can do to earn God's favor. Why would we even try when the work's finished and accomplished for us? The child of God delights in bowing to their sovereign God and their sovereign Savior. We rest in knowing that Christ finished the work of redemption for us. And we say it all the time. When can a man and woman rest? When their work's finished. When their work's finished. You ever, on a Saturday afternoon, thought, man, I'm going to take me a big long nap. And then you go, i got to mow the grass. Can't rest until the work's finished. And Christ finished the work for us. No, we dare not add to the perfect work that is finished, but we simply rest in that perfect finished work. Because Jehovah is perfect. We fall at His feet and we say with Thomas, My Lord and my God. What good news this is. If I must add to it, then it's not good news. Did you hear me? If we've got to add to it, that's not good news. Because we cannot add to it. We have nothing and can do nothing to add to it. It's finished. The conflict's over. The victory's won. Jesus Christ is Lord. Herein is love made perfect, not that we, ha- that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. How thankful we are that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, gives unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, of Christ, the Lord Jesus, Ephesians 1.17. And one day very soon, every tongue 
Even the unbelieving tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those who all their life says, I will not have this Christ to rule over me. One day in the judgment, they're going to stand and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. But it'll be too late for them. Be too late. That's why today is the day of salvation. Today is. We're not promised tomorrow. Thank God for Jehovah who is perfect. Personally, we don't know much about perfection. But by God's grace, we know Him who is perfect. And that's all we need to know to be saved. Not what we know is, it's who we know. And God be pleased to make it so for His glory, our good, and for Christ's sake.